0: Arizona Arizona Sports, sports. the The local local sports sports leader, leader. Burns and Gambo, the 4 O'Clock Reset. Brought to you by Collins Comfort, AC and Plumbing, proud home services partner of the Arizona Cardinals. 4
1: O'Clock Reset.
0: And away we go with our top stories of the day. And of course, the top story of the day, it is not the Super Bowl. It's all about the Phoenix Suns. Billionaire mortgage lender Matt Ishbia's purchase of a majority stake of the Suns and the Mercury has been approved. It has been finalized. Press release has been sent out. Quote, this is the culmination of a lifelong dream. I love the game of basketball deeply, but it's so much more than that for me throughout my life. Basketball has given me a second family, an education, and so much joy. I am honored to be the next steward of this community's franchises in the Suns and Mercury, and I'm totally committed to building an incredible organization on and off the floor. Close quote. He will speak at a press conference t- Tomorrow, Gambo, eleven thirty in the morning, and of course you'll hear it live right here on Arizona Sports, the local yeah. sports league.
1: Can't wait to see what he has to say about the budget and uh, you know the luxury tax and you know the front office and uh, basketball operations with James Jones and Monty Williams. I expect he's going to support them, you know, as much as he can, and uh, and then probably make a lot of changes as well with Jason Rowley leaving the president of the Phoenix Suns. He'll probably make a lot of you know business office decisions that will come real soon. But listen, it's a new era in Suns basketball. People are excited. Here's a young guy with a lot of money, and if he's willing to spend that money, you know, more so than the previous owner, I think people are going to be very jacked up and excited about that. Yeah,
0: I am very excited about this new era of Suns basketball. There's no doubt about that. Now, the Associated Press's Tim Reynolds had a chance to speak, speak, pardon me, with Matt Ishbia about the team before the trade deadline on Thursday. Quote, I think we're in a great position right now. Will I be involved? Yes. Are we highly active? Yes. But at the same time, I think we have a championship contending team without doing anything over the next two days. Close quote. That was Matt Ishbia himself to the AP's Tim Reynolds about where they stand with the trade deadline. That's about 45 hours away, Gambo. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean,
1: he he does. He thinks that they have a championship And they do. I mean, they have a team that can Compete, you know, that can compete for a championship. It's not easy. It's hard, but you know you've got a superstar player in Devin Booker, and if Chris Paul can, you know, muster up the ability to get through a, a you know, five five or six weeks of playoff basketball with with DeAndre and Mikhail and Cam Johnson and the bench, you,
0: you know, you do feel like you've got a shot. So I think he's he's right by saying that. As far as the Kevin Durant watch goes, there might not be anything to watch. Adrian Wojnarowski mm-hmm. tweeted out today that in the aftermath of the Kyrie Irving trade, the Nets and Kevin Durant are having a ongoing conversations on the direction of the franchise, and that the organization so far has told inquiring teams they're not planning on moving him before Thursday's deadline. Wodes then added, Durant did have interest in a deal to the Suns over the summer, but so far the Nets have not shown a willingness to move him to Phoenix or anywhere else, despite the fact there have been a number of teams reaching out to Brooklyn on Durant. Yeah, I don't think it makes
1: any sense for the Brooklyn Nets to trade him right now. They traded Kyrie you bring in some pieces. You still have the trade deadline. Remember, they could still trade Finney Smith. They could still trade Spencer Dinwiddie. They added a first-round pick from Dallas, unprotected in 2029. They could use that. They've got three picks that they could trade. So the Nets can absolutely go into this deadline and say, "Look, let's get another piece. Let's get another piece for KD." And if they do that, maybe he maybe
0: he'll want to stay. Meanwhile, the Suns and the Nets. So much conversation about those two teams off the court. They meet on the court tonight, and of course. It's the first time since Christmas that Devin Booker will play basketball for the Suns. Book and the Suns are in Brooklyn to take on a very depleted Nets team, led by the young gun, uh, Cam Thomas, who's had 91 points in his last two games combined. Tip-off, Gambo, is at 530 on the Arizona Sports app and on ESPN 620.
1: Now, let's see if they can keep up their winning ways. Suns playing good basketball and get Book back. What they're looking to do is they're looking to make a move, get into that top four. You know, stay healthy, manage Book, manage Cam Johnson, uh, the minutes, and I think we're all just, you know, we're just going to watch, watch, we want to see Devin Booker go out there, play a whole game, not re-aggravate any injury, they've taken their time with him, it was Christmas that that injury happened, when he re-aggravated it, they've taken their
0: time, they ramped him up, so he should be ready to go. Meanwhile, Cardinals news to update you on, guard Justin Q was at a charity event in Phoenix today, our own Cardinals beat reporter Tyler Drake was there, and asked him about his recovery from his season-ending season ending knee surgery.
2: I had the best best version of the worst-case scenario, where I just tore the ACL, no other ligaments. I've had no setbacks. I've really never had any swelling. If you think about athletes in general, we, we really are... Prehabbing the whole time, we're building up all those little muscles around us. So, if, as terms of ACL, I'm as far ahead as I think I could be. Um, if I'm going to make sure I take the time, do it right. At 32, you want to make sure you're not coming back and having any any other things be off. You know, you want to make sure everything is strong. And when I go back out there, I, I don't plan on getting hurt again. And my injury, too. Looking back, I on a guy fell on my leg. A 365 pound man fell on my leg, so it wasn't like I cut funny, and I, I've never had knee issues at all. So it really was just an unfortunate accident. That happened. And that's part of the game. I mean, that's that's what I always tell people. He's a
0: free agent. We'll see if he's back with the Cardinals next year.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I've spoken to him recently. I think if you know, he's not. He, you know, I, I thought he might retire. He's going to wait and see what what the offers are and who's interested in him. He's he's definitely got a, a an avenue after football is over with 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 real estate. I think commercial real estate that he's that he's excited about, and he'll have a nice career afterwards and do really well. Smart guy, really bright guy, but as not ruled out, not playing. I thought he might just retire after the season's over, but he is interested in seeing what offers are out there. If somebody wants to make him a good offer,
0: for him to come back and play. No new updates today on the Cardinal search for a new head coach. We did get an endorsement of Giants offensive coordinator Mike Kafka from Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Coach
1: is a special... Person and a, a special coach. And um, he, he kind of took me when he first got here. He was quality, con- quality control, and that was my first year as a rookie. And so I spent a lot of hours with Coach Kafka where he was teaching me the playbook and teaching me how to become a quarterback in the NFL. Um, and that continued for a long time. And I knew right when he left here, he was going to be a head coach somewhere soon. And
0: so A ringing endorsement from him and from Andy Reid as well, who also said good things about Kafka. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and you know, that, that Andy Reid coaching tree is a good one. You it talked is. about
1: it earlier. That's a pretty good coaching tree. And of course, he spent some time with the Giants this year and did a good job with Daniel Jones he's a you know he, he's at the top of their list two candidates left one offensive guy one defensive guy neither one's been a head coach we'll see what direction they go I expect but that by this time next week we will know I think the Cardinals will make an announcement on Tuesday of next week who their head coach is going to be
0: Steve Wilkes, former Cardinals head coach now the new defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers that announcement was made today he's the replacement for new Texans head coach D'Amico Ryans who left in In fact, the last two defensive coordinators for the 49ers, uh, D'Amico Ryans and, of course, Robert Sala in uh, New York, have both gone on to become head coaches in this league. Will Wilkes make it three for three? I don't know. We'll see. He was impressive when he took over for Matt Rule. After Matt Rule got fired, he went
1: 6-6. Six six. He's 53 years old. He's been a head coach before for one year. I thought that he should have got that Carolina job, but he replaces a good one in D'Amico Ryans, who's now the Texans head coach, but he lands with a team that just, you know, he should be able to really shine. He's got a great defense. It's going to be hard to fail with that,
0: with that defense. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Colts owner Jim Irsay tweeted that a final decision for their head coaching opening should be coming in. a matter of days, not hours. So the question now is who hires their head coach first? Is it going to be the Cardinals or the Colts? The owner of the Eagles, Jeffrey Lurie, said this about his franchise quarterback, Jalen Hurts, before he plays in the Super Bowl. I
2: don't think he has anything to prove. He's an MVP caliber quarterback. He's an incredible leader of the team. And, um, you know, on the field, off the field, he's 24 years old, uh, incredibly mature, and most importantly, driven to be even Better
0: at some point, an extension is going to be coming for him, and that's going to be expensive. Gambo, it's going to be expensive. Yeah, Yeah. you know what they're paying him this year? What two and a half, right? Four million dollars. Four million,
1: okay. Four million, they paid him one million last year. He went from one million to four million. He's
0: making four million bucks. The benefits of being a quarterback on a rookie contract for an organization, it's you you just can't measure it, man. It's such a big deal. His first contract was four years, six million dollars. 4 years 6 million that's a that was bargain his contract enjoy it while you can LeBron James, 36 points tonight for the Lakers. If he's able to get it, he will pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to become the all-time NBA's leading scorer. The Lakers take on the Thunder at 8 o'clock tonight. Is LeBron going to get his 36 or does this get stretched into another night? I mean, I don't know. It's inevitable he's going to get it, whether he gets it tonight or another night. I mean, he's
1: one of the greatest players that's ever played. His longevity has been unbelievable. You know, he's won championships in three different places. There's a lot of LeBron haters out there, but when all is said and done in his career is over. I mean, he's, you know, he stands, you know, you know, right there, just a notch below. Michael Jordan is the maybe the best player that's ever played this game.
0: And then real quick, congratulations to the Coyotes. Big win last night. They beat the Minnesota Wild 3-2. Jacob Chikrin. Two goals last night to get the Coyotes the win in their first game back after the all-star break.
1: Yeah, and that trade deadline's coming up too, and we'll see if Chikrin ends up being a guy that they move. I expect that they will move him. There's gonna be a lot of teams that want him. I think the Kings are very heavy on him i think edmonton as well so we'll
0: see where he ends up when we come back they may not have directly said no to a job but the cardinals have had many individuals look elsewhere instead of taking the cardinals head coaching shop how worrisome of a pattern is this we'll talk about it next on the burns and gambo show burns
3: and Afternoons on Arizona Sports. The local sports leader.
0: Kurt Warner scheduled to join us at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk Cardinals coaching search with him. We'll talk Super Bowl. We'll get a little preview of the game. We can always talk with Kurt Warner about everything in the NFL. We enjoy having him on. In the meantime, as we welcome you back to the Bernstein Gambo show, the troubling trend that we really started getting into towards the end of the show yesterday certainly feels like something we need to keep talking about a little bit because because the, the the Arizona Cardinals are I, I I don't know how much of a problem it is. I'm curious to get your opinion on this because we need to talk about this. A lot of people had said no to them during this coaching cycle. General managers have said no to them. Coaches have said no to them. I'm sure individually they all might have had reasons why they did it. But collectively, Gambo, when you look at the whole list and the, just the sheer number of people who for whatever reason one or another have said no to the Cardinals, it's troubling to think that that many people People have turned them down and it's, it's a bad like, look no, it's a very bad look it's a bad look I mean let's not sugarcoat this that's a
1: bad look one guy does it okay okay D'Amico Ryans didn't want to interview with you okay he really liked the Texans job better no problem the Brian Flores thing I thought blew me away this guy had a chance to be the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals he was going to get interviewed a second time he takes the Minnesota job you had the uh, Cunningham with the Bears the GM didn't want to interview here in Arizona and then it was it Dan Quinn so I you know You look at this... This list of guys who just didn't really have a lot of interest in the Arizona Cardinals, and you got to ask yourself, why? Why is it? One guy, you could be like, okay, but two, three, four, it's a trend. Yeah. What did they not like about the Cardinals? Did they not like the direction? Did they not like the ownership? Did they feel like they're going to be put in this bad situation? Did did the, the hiring and firing of Steve Wilkes after one year and then what happened with Cliff Kingsbury uh, affect somebody or you know, these guys' ability to think that this is a good job? I mean, there's only 30 two of these jobs you would think they're a premium right if you, you get a job so. get a job as a head coach or a GM that's a premium take yeah. advantage of it yeah you, you make a lot so. of money yeah
0: and and I I think the three in particular that I think are the most concerning um, are Ian Cunningham Brian Flores and Dan Quinn because those are direct promotions right those are direct okay like Ian Cunningham decided to stay as the assistant general manager of the Bears rather than be the general manager of the Cardinals he chose not To get promoted, Dan Quinn chose not to get promoted. Now, I don't know if Dan Quinn was going to get the job, but he certainly withdrew his name from consideration, so he never really got a chance to go in there and really mix it up for it. He chose to stay in a lesser position with the Dallas Cowboys and take a better position with the Cardinals. Same thing with Brian Flores. He chose to take a lesser position with the Vikings and a better position with the Cardinals that's the troubling part and individually I don't know what their reasons were I don't know what's going on I I don't know why but collectively it is a bad look and it's the kind of thing that unfortunately I think is going to define this coaching search to a certain extent like we're going to remember this coaching search depending on who they get depending on who they hire and how successful that person is if that person isn't successful if that person struggles I think we'll always kind of look back on this month of January 2023 and Wonder why was everybody saying no to the Arizona Cardinals? What were they turning down? What did they not like about the job? Is it especially promotions? Like promotions, Cunningham, yes. Cunningham.
1: He's working alongside their GM Ryan Poles, basically since the day he was hired. Did he not think that he was ready for the job? That like, I just the you know you know what? It's a promotion. <laughs> you get to be the GM. Like I, that's fascinating to me. I mean, it was Jay Glazer that reported that he was offered the Arizona job and turned it down. Um, and then there was also reports that you know that he was offered both the GM positions for the Cardinals and the Titans. So I don't know what his thinking was. But then you go to Quinn and then you go to. Why did D'Amico Ryan's? And then you go to Brian Flores. You think, now, there was a report a few days ago that, you know, people weren't interested in the Cardinals. Could it be because of Kyler Murray? Could it be because of Kyler Murray? Could that be the reason why everybody's saying no? Is Kyler Murray to blame that the Cardinals aren't being... I didn't look. I don't think so. I mean, I those situations could work itself out. You don't like them, you know. You, yeah, you can move on and uh, you know, maybe not this year, but maybe after this year or after the next year. You're not coming in as a GM and figuring I've only got two years. You figuring, okay, I got three, four, five years to turn this around. If Murray doesn't work out, you everybody can be traded at some point. We've seen that. So I am fascinated by it. I don't think that it's Murray. Um, But you know, if I'm Michael Bidwell, I got to look in the mirror and say, why? Why do these people not want to come work for me?
0: Yeah, and that's if it's Kyler. I mean, I get it. He's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, and I would imagine there are going to be some general managers, there are going to be some coaches who are going to say, I that wouldn't be who I would choose to have under contract for a quarter of a billion dollars and be my be the face of my franchise for the next four or five years. And if that's the case, okay, fine. Go find something else or go do something else. It's the people who who in interview with the team and then decide they don't want to go any further, right? Like if they if they said, mm-hmm. you know what, I'll have a conversation with you. Let's talk about the job. And then they decide they don't want to do it that to me makes me worry that goes beyond the quarterback. That to me makes me worry That's because if they didn't like the quarterback, I think they would have just said no to the offer to have a conversation, maybe like D'Amico Ryans did. And the the D'Amico Ryans, he did it because he knew he was getting the Texans job. He's like, I don't even need to waste my time talking to the Cardinals. I'm going to get the job I want. I'm going to go to Texans. But it seems like the other ones, it's like if they didn't like Kyler Murray, they could have said no to the initial conversation. They said yes, and there was something about that conversation it sounds like they didn't like. Now, I've got a couple of updates on this. This Mm -hmm. comes from Aaron Wilson. He covers the NFL and the Texans for KPRC Channel 2 in Houston. He's a longtime NFL insider. I'm kind of familiar with his work. He tweeted out today, Vikings defensive coordinator Brian Flores withdrew from the Cardinals head coaching search. Several league sources emphasized how many potential head coaching jobs will be open in 2024. And that that was a consideration for the former Dolphins head coach. Almost as if to say, there will Will be better jobs next year. I'm better off waiting for those jobs than taking one now. That's the suggestion when it comes to Flores. For what it's worth, um, I mean, okay. And then, I mean,
1: what 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 jobs are going to be available? The bad teams just. The Texans were bad, they got a new coach. The Colts are bad they're getting a new coach. The Broncos were bad they're getting a new coach. the Cardinals were bad. they're getting a neck now okay let's just go let's just think off the top of our head um
0: the Rams job could be available could be available. Cowboys could be available. How about Seattle? Seattle could be available if Pete retires. Packers could be available if they struggle without Aaron Rodgers. Okay, Packers. Washington? Uh, Washington could very well be available. I don't know how good of a job that is, depending on what happens with their ownership. Yes, absolutely, that could be available. Tampa Bay? Uh, Tampa Bay could definitely be available. Uh, Okay, Saints could be available. I mean, yes, there's Raiders? Raiders? Raiders could absolutely be available, no doubt. Chargers? Chargers could definitely be available. I mean, see, there you go. We just listed okay. uh, 10 teams.
1: We just listed 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. We want to find a 10th one? Let's see if we can find... Tennessee? Oh, sure. Tennessee could be... Uh, there's open. your 10. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there, there's your 10 teams right there. The Rams, Se- uh, Seattle, the Cowboys... And Flores uh, might be looking at those, going,
0: they're all better than the Cardinals. Washington, the, Tampa Bay, New Orleans, the, Las Vegas, yeah. Tennessee. They all might be better than the Cardinals when it's all said and done. Okay. So that's it, it's it's troubling. It's I'm troubled by it. I, I I I sort of feel like that has unfortunately defined this process for the Cardinals. A, the fact that it's taken longer than anybody expected, and B, just the vast number of people who, for whatever reason, have said no collectively. When you put them all together, perceptually, it's a really, really bad look. When we come back, he's watching the NFL from afar and up close. He's a Cardinals legend, and he joins us next. Hall of Famer Kurt Warner coming up on the Burns and Gambo Show.
3: Burns and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports. The local sports leader.
0: Two-time MVP, Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl champion, NFL Network, Westwood One Sports—all that in a bag of chips. It's always a pleasure to have Kurt Warner joining us on the Burns and Gambo Show here on Arizona Sports. It's been too long, Kurt. How you doing? I'm doing really well. How you guys doing? Good, good. good Gambo, week. exciting week. Yeah.
1: Good. To, good to have the Super Bowl here, my friend. Bring it. Bring me back to your memories. I mean, you participated in three of these things. Well, what are you looking back now? What are, what are your fondest memories of being a part of Super Bowl week?
2: You know, each of them have their different memories. Um, You know, you're in different places. Um, You know, my first one being my first year and kind of that magical run. And um, I remember how long the week was leading up to the Super Bowl that I was almost exhausted by the time I got to the Super Bowl because I didn't really know how to manage it. Um, You know, the second one was able to enjoy a little bit more until uh, until the actual game played out. Uh, And then the third one here in Arizona i think that the greatest memory was watching the Super Bowl experience through the eyes of all of my teammates and the people uh in the organization you know when when I got in to arizona um you know, they were the losingest team of the last five decades. And, you know, there was a big contingent in the organization that I don't believe ever thought we could win. And so when we made that run and, and you know, we got on the plane to go to Tampa and watching guys get off the plane and go to the facility and go to the stadium, it was just so much fun to watch, um, you know, things click and things change and the perspective and the possibilities in their mind uh, just looked different and so I had been there a couple times uh, as grateful as I was to be there again that to me was the coolest memory was just watching everyone else take in what the Super Bowl experience is all about you know and, and each one it got bigger and more grand and you know to the point where we're at now where it's just I mean it's such a huge spectacle every year and it's fun to you know to watch the people leading up to it and, and, and see how every day you know gets a little bit busier and people get a little bit more excited and the buzz is um, you know a little bit more energy every single day leading up to, to the game and uh, and then I get the opportunity to to do the pregame show for forever and then uh, to call the game, which is uh, to me one of the highlights to be able to do that for radio every single year. So um, it's just it's a fun week uh, to culminate everything that, uh, you know, this season has brought, and, you know, and my season as a whole. So I look forward to this week and then I look forward to a little downtime.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, I've been here since 97, and one of my fondest memories of of being in Arizona was that run you took the Cardinals on to get to the Super Bowl. I mean, I remember everything, every play like it was yesterday. It was just such a a great time to be a a football fan here in Arizona, to be a Cardinal fan. And, you know, even though the team came up short, it's amazing just, you know, how many great memories there are from what that team was able to accomplish. I mean, they, they gave the fans long lasting memories that they'll take with them. Forever,
2: yeah. You know, you know Michael Irvin, who I work with. You know, every week, uh, I always love the saying that when he talks about, you know, how he measures. A man, or a team, or an organization, or whatever that is, how he measures a person is not always on the destination, but on the distance traveled. And that, to me, was um, you know the epitome of, of what you're talking about. Is you know when I got here and, and the struggle, and you know a lot of people talk about you know a couple lost years at the beginning of my time here in Arizona. And I don't look at it like that at all. I look at it as as the building process and you know laying the groundwork for what we would accomplish during that three years and how we would would get better and better and, um, you know, win some playoff games and uh, you'd have some great moments, as you said, here at home in that stadium, uh, you know, that it opened up just just when I got here. And so that to me is what's so special is that it's so hard to build something and to understand what goes into building something. You know, you can't just always show up and expect, oh, well, it's just it's all good, you know. And I think sometimes we get a little spoiled in the NFL because of free agency now and, and the things that change is teams are able to, you know, to kind of flip the, you know, flip from year to year a little bit faster now than they used to be able to when, you know, teams, you know, stood together and, and you really had to build from the ground up. And so, you know, that, that to me is, is what it was all about. And, you know, one step after another, and you started to see it and, and you had certain moments where you're like, man, okay, we, you know, we're taking a step. We're, we're making growth. Even if people on the outside didn't see it, you saw it inside the building and then how it paid off those last few years.
0: Kurt Warner, our guest on the Burns and Gambo show, the Super Bowl matchup aside, given that you're a, a lifer in the football world and, and you've been doing this for so long, I'm just curious from the Cardinals coaching search and the two guys that we presume it's down to and Lou Anarumo and Mike Kafka, do, do you have any um, insight into their ability to be head coaches in this league through your travels, through people you talk to, games you've called, when it comes to those two guys specific, is there any insight that you can add into either one of them that might give a clear vision who would be the better
2: choice as the head coach? I mean, all I'm going to say is, you know, it's it's kind of like the quarterback position. You don't know until you know. And that's, I think, the hardest part. And, and the hardest part of the proposition when you're trying to get the next head coach and you're trying to, to get the right guy is you don't really know. And sometimes you don't even know, uh, you know, after you get that guy. Um, you know, I was actually doing something with Michael Bidwell this morning, and we were just kind of talking about around the league. And, you know, Zach Taylor, after, you know, his early time in Cincinnati they were ready to fire him, like, oh my gosh, this is the wrong guy, you got the wrong guy, and then a year later he's in the Super Bowl. You know, how about Nick Sirianni? You know, his opening press conference and people are like, Oh my gosh, what did we do? <laughs> and and then now they're they're in the Super Bowl in year two. And the idea behind it is that it's a growing process. You know, when you get a guy that's never been a head coach or never been a head coach at this level, and as I was talking about, with all the changes that can happen from year to year You know, you gotta let them grow. You gotta let them become what it is that you saw in them to give them that opportunity. But it's really hard in this business because everybody expects that quick two, three year turnaround. And it's just not that easy. And so uh, I I think that's the hard thing. You know, the two guys that you're talking about, I have heard glowing endorsements from a bunch of people uh, on both of these guys that have worked with them. But the only thing that I'll say is neither one's ever been a head coach. And so we all know. I've been around some great coordinators that weren't great head coaches. And um, and then there's other guys that can handle all of it and can manage it well. And, you know, and they thrive when they get into that head coaching position and, and the leaders that they are start to come out. And so I think that's the hard thing, you know, and again, I liken it to quarterbacks is, you know, we can try to make as much assessment as we want, but until you see them in the moment at the highest level with the stakes you know, are what they are. You don't know who's going to be that guy. And, um, you know, sometimes you got to go with the young guy that you give them a chance and you're not really sure and they butt into a great coach. Um, you know, sometimes you go with the older guy or, or a guy that's been there a couple times thinking maybe this is the time, um, that they're going to thrive. So I, I think all of that is really, really tough and we're all going to scrutinize as we always scrutinize and we're going to scrutinize in the short term. You know, you look at Nathaniel Kid. and you know he's fired after one year and and you know I'm just thinking to myself. Man, yeah, I know there were some things that went wrong there, um, but obviously it didn't mesh early on with Russell Wilson. We all thought because of who Russell Wilson was before, you know, he would be great, and then it doesn't play out that way. And when you watch the tape, to me, it's not all about Nathaniel Hackett, but he ends up, you know, taking the fall because there were some mistakes along the way. As a young coach, always has some mistakes, and he didn't get the patience to be able to see what he could become as a head coach. So I just, I think it's a really, really tough thing to try to assess guys that have never been there before and say, well this is what they're gonna be or this is what they can't do. But we really have no idea until they get in that moment and you gotta hope when uh, you know you're an organization when you're Michael Bidwell making this decision, you gotta hope that you get one of those guys that thrives and, and lifts his game up as he takes that next step to a head coach. All right, I wanna to talk to you about Treasure House because I know
1: it's very near and dear to your heart. It's a one-of-a-kind, active, living community for young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. It was founded by, by you and your wife with inspiration from your son, Zach. And it's a, it's a tremendous charity, and you guys are doing a, a lot of great things, uh, even around the Super
2: Bowl. So tell me a little bit about what's going on with Treasure House and your involvement. Well, I mean, Treasure House is, is thriving right now. We've you know, got our first Treasure House out in Glendale not too far from the actual stadium um, and you know we're completely full right now and the residents are thriving you know the first resident was our son who suffered a traumatic brain injury when he was four months old um, and it's been so fun to watch him grow and thrive and he works a couple jobs and he's got a social life and his calendar is always full and it's just the full life that we've always dreamed for all of our kids but we didn't know you know early on if that was possible for Zach and we're seeing that that can be possible for through places like Treasure House. And so as I said, we're full. We've got a waiting list. So the goal is to uh to, to pay off the building out there uh through our capital campaign and then start to expand, whether that's more here in Arizona, whether that's around the country, we've got so many people that are interested. Uh, so we're just always looking for opportunities um to be able to bring awareness to what we're doing so every family out there like ours can can start to dream differently. Um and so we use every opportunity that, that we can, you know. Got, got an opportunity this week to to do a little event that we're going to do to raise money. We got a bunch of great people coming. Uh, I know Sanderson is a is a sponsor of yours, and they're helping us out, so we appreciate their involvement in it. Um, but that's just what we're doing. We're always trying to just look for the opportunities, to, you know, to to kind of connect with people that feel led to uh, to be a part and join hands with what we're doing, you know. And we understand there's great organizations out there doing a lot of great things, and so our goal is always to go, hey, if if what we do touches you. Uh, if you want to come alongside of us and, and and grab hands and, and do something in this area, we want to find those people that are passionate about, you know, this, uh, you know, this little niche. You know, you can't, you can't change everything, but you pick those things that are close to your heart and you, and you chase after them. And that's what we're trying to do with Treasure House. And it's been, it's been a labor of love and it's been fun to watch it, uh, thrive here in, in in Glendale. And, uh, and the hope is, and the vision is that we're going to have a lot more of these, uh, over the next few years.
0: Kurt, it's always good hearing your voice. It's always good catching up. We wish you the very best. We look forward to catching up with you really soon. Okay, thanks for coming on. Awesome.
2: Enjoy the week, uh, and I hope we have a great game. I hope so too. Thanks.
0: Right, thanks, Kurt. That's Kurt Warner joining us here on the Arizona Sports Line. I'm glad they got to talk about Treasure House there at the end a little bit too, Gamble, because that's obviously yeah, very, very important. Heart.
1: I mean, an incredible, um, incredible charity. What they what, what they do for these you know young adults with uh, the development of disabilities is amazing. And and our friends at Sanderson Lincoln are really involved in helping. Treasure House right now. Sanderson Lincoln just east of the I-17 on Bell Road and at the Scottsdale Quarters. We've been telling you about Sanderson Lincoln all week and some of the great deals that they've got going on. But, you know, they're really helping out Kurt Warner and Treasure House. So if you're you're looking for a new luxury vehicle, check out the the great people at Sanderson Lincoln. Patrick Heigel and the the crew over there. Second to none. Nothing like driving a Lincoln. Go to SandersonLincoln.com for more information.
0: When we come back on the Burns and Gambo Show, now that he has sold his majority share and now that we are turning the page and moving, Moving on, how will we remember the years that Robert Sarver owned the Phoenix Suns and Mercury? We'll talk about that next on the Burns and Gambo Show.
3: Burns and Gambo. Arizona sports. The local sports leader.
0: Again, our thanks to Kurt Warner for coming on, talking a little football with us. We rearranged some things a little bit. Let's get an update on our Twitter poll question of the day. Let's turn it back over to Eric Ruby.
2: Burns and Gambo need to know Twitter poll update presented by
3: Sanderson Ford. Roves, what you got? You guys were quite confident in this one two hours ago. The results did not agree with you. Let's revisit it. You can find this at Burns and Gambo on Twitter. The question is, how many deals total will the Phoenix Suns be involved in by the February 9th trade deadline? Your three options are two plus, one, and zero. Two plus.
0: Two plus. Two plus. Easily
3: it, is how you guys are going. Easily. Like
0: I, I, think it's a, I think there will be an additional trade beyond Jay Crowder. I, I'd be very, very surprised who? if there's not something. Well, I don't know who. I have no idea. But I, do I, they, I trade. Who, I, what, what, what player could the Suns trade? What player could they send out? They could send out... Landry Landry Shamit. Dario? They could send out Dario if they wanted to. Picks. They could send out a pick. You know, not all of the picks, but a future first if they wanted to in addition to one of those players. Um, they could, I mean, it'd be hard to send out campaign because he's hurt. I, I would think any combination of those guys potentially could be sent out. And I wouldn't even rule out something other than that, too. I I, I know what you said earlier about DeAndre Ayton. He's going to be a guy I'm going to keep an eye on in the next 48 hours, just to see if something materializes there. Yeah, but he's not going anywhere. I, I, I know you keep saying that. I, I understand. I'm still going to keep an eye on that because there might be a window to be able to move him. Him, but we'll see. Remember. I, I He's got a no trade too, right? Right, so he does. He does. He, he could say no. You could tell him to go play a kite if he wanted he to. He could, but but would he? I mean, you know, or would he rather go someplace that he might feel like he's a little more wanted than he is right now? I, I trust your reporting, and I trust he's not going anywhere. It's just one of those, I'll you know, let's just be sure that he's not going
1: anywhere. Do you
3: think it's more likely that those picks and players could be in one big deal with Jay Crowder instead sure. of being in separate deals? Yeah, there could
1: be a three-team trade too. Yeah. That's
3: Possible.
0: And in which case, the correct answer would be one, that there'd be only one trade. I just, I think there's going to be more than one.
3: I think that's what people are banking on either that being more likely because our leader at 49.4%, over 20% higher than the next highest option, is one trade thinking just a Jay Crowder deal goes down. In second place is not two plus. It's zero trades happening by the ninth deadline at 28%. In last place at 22% is two plus trades.
0: All right. That's the poll question. You can find it on the Burns and Gambo Twitter page. Now, when it relates to the Suns and how involved they're going to be at the trade deadline, that's one of the big questions for Matt Ishbia. He financially was approved by the NBA. He was voted in by the fellow owners last night. He was officially approved the financial transaction today. He is now the principal owner. He, along with his brother, are the principal owners of the Phoenix Suns. Press conference tomorrow at 1130. Gambo, the the book is now officially closed on the Robert Sarver era, as we know it for the Phoenix Suns. How would you yeah, feel about I'm, that? I'm,
1: well, I'm looking at Suns.com right now. Matt Ishbia assumes controlling ownership interests of the Suns, and the Mercury is a picture of him. Welcome to the Valley. Look, the Robert Sauber era didn't start off really well as far as, you know, Robert being in the front seat with the foam finger and yelling at the refs. I mean, everybody was used to Jerry Colangelo. It's tough, tough to replace a legend like Jerry Colangelo. Came in, bought the team for $400 million, and he was sitting center court and just was was a little bit different than Jerry. And I think that took some getting used to. People didn't really like it. Um, but And then, obviously, I think the one thing that hurt him in the beginning was not signing Joe Johnson. Now he went out there and he got Quentin Richardson and he re signed Steve Nash and they were spending money, but then they were also selling draft picks because Mike didn't want to play anybody, so they sold the draft picks for money, uh, a lot of those draft picks, and did away with them. In the end, um, you know, Robert Sauber's run with the Phoenix Suns saw some of the biggest highs and the biggest lows. The highs of the seven second or less Suns, which were fantastic with Amari and Sean and, Shawn and and, uh, and Steve, and it was a great era of Suns basketball. And then the Lowe's. Oh, my God, the Lowe's were just so bad. I mean, how, you know, how many years in a row of winning 20 to 25 games sure. and being in a lottery every year and the Ryan McDonough and the Goats and, um, Josh Jackson and, um, you, you just go over the, the draft picks they had, all the first round draft picks that just failed. Dragon Bender, the dream scenario, and just just every the Marquise Chris and just a really bad era of Suns basketball. There was Lindsey Hunter, there was Earl Watson, there was just um, you know so many bad moves that were made. And then the last couple of years with the hiring of Monty and elevating James, saw the Suns get back to having a lot of success and getting to the NBA Finals and setting the franchise record for most wins. So I think the Robert Sarva era had a lot of success early uh, and then the worst some of the worst lows we've ever seen and then back on top. So it was a real it was a, a real Strange bag, right? To be so high, then so low, then so
0: high again. Yeah, it's if you're going to ask me about the Robert Server era as we know it, it's. I mean, you you almost have to separate the the basketball from the ownership because the ownership and the business and the things that went on during that time it was an unmitigated disaster. I mean, it was just absolutely poorly run, poorly managed. Uh, just all of the stories that came out. There's just no excuse for that. So. So if we're gonna have a conversation about Robert, you almost have to have two conversations: one, the the actual business itself and how it was run, and the things that were said about it after the fact and during the investigation; and two, the basketball element of it itself. And and I tell you, as and maybe it's just because I'm very ready to turn the page and I'm very ready to move on from Robert, and I'm re- very ready to see what somebody else can do with his organization that that is you know beyond my parents, my first love growing up as a kid here in the Valley. I'm very eager to see how somebody else handles it. From a basketball standpoint, Gambo, I will always remember the bad of Robert before I will remember the good. I will always remember those lost years from 2014 through 2020 before I'll remember any of the good stuff because, man, those years were so bad. and It, it was, was the worst. It, you were just adrift at sea lost looking for some kind of help. I mean, just... Counting ping-pong balls and watching loss after loss and some of that. Oh, I've got one that stands out. James Jones having a go...
1: You know, give out, what was it, beer? Beer and a fries. At, yeah, because fries. Josh Jackson didn't just, show up. Yeah. Jackson
0: failed to show it was, up. It was it was disastrous. And so even the good basketball stuff that might have happened on his watch, and there's no doubt there was some good stuff, certainly hiring James and hiring Monty among them. I think of the bad stuff, and, and it just overwhelms me because it was so bad, and it was so long, and there was no end in sight, and you never knew how it was going to get turned around. And so I'm... I'm happy. I, I, I think the fan base is very happy because this is can be and has been one of the best crown jewels of the NBA in the Phoenix Suns. And I'm very curious to see if they've got an owner now who can truly establish that for them. So we'll see. Yeah, it starts yeah. tomorrow. Starts tomorrow. Yep. Flavortown is pulling up right across the street from the big game this Sunday. Join Guy Fieri and 20 other food vendors for the ultimate tailgating experience. Head to the contest page at ArizonaSports.com for complete details and your chance to win tickets. One half of the Super Bowl comes from Kansas City. and Despite making a massive subtraction this offseason, it's led them here to the Valley. We'll find out how Kansas City got here and we'll talk a little Mike Kafka as well next on the Burns and Gambo Show.